Welcome to the Isle of Misfits podcast. I am your humble host, Nancy Carmichael, and Chief Misfit, by the way, and we are in the midst of our first ever four-episode series called Hope in the Madness. Yes, we're, we're tackling the madness of these days with four different takes on the madness. Last week, we talked about hope in the craziness. We're going to talk about sadness. We're going to talk about weakness. But today, we're going to tackle the big, big topic of hope in the angriness. And yes, I know it's a made up word, but it is a thing. So I have here my good friend and all around smart guy, Bob Red. You heard from him last week. And if you didn't, you can press pause, go back and listen to that one. Do whatever you want. This is America. Uh, but we're here to talk about this and he's going to help us because he's got a lot of great thoughts. So we're just going to get right into it today. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Hey, Nancy. Good to see you. It's good to see you too. And I just got to ask you, what's making you angry these days? Yeah, well, so, or you know, so anyone, so, not just you. I was going to say so much uh, in this world today, not me in particular, but uh, a lot of people. A lot of people are hurting. A lot of people are uh, anxious. A lot of people are upset. Uh, just a lot of people are, and uh, that translates to angriness. Uh, let me define it first. Is is always good. Always good to define it. Yeah, so I find that angriness occurs when there's an obvious or perceived miscarriage of justice or there's a two-tiered justice system from which people have no recourse uh, to correct. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think that's really the key to angriness is um, when there's uh, obvious or perceived uh, miscarriage of justice and there's no writing that. There's no recourse to make that right. And unfortunately, uh, you know, the metaphor is the uh, cat backed in the corner. Right. And they're hardly ever happy when that happens. I've not seen a cat happy in the corner. No, they arch their back for a reason. So, yeah, like you said, and as you're saying, I'm like, in my mind, I'm circling two words, right? Uh, injustice. Yeah. And no recourse. That's right. Yeah, and that's the key to it. And because, you know, when we talk about angry, nobody likes angry people. I know I don't like to encounter angry people, whether it's in line at Starbucks or in traffic or even in my own home. Um, but I also know that people don't like me when I'm angry. So, you know, there's two sides to it. Um, and yet not, well, I guess a, another way of looking at another angle is, even though we don't like it, is there a place for it? Yeah, there absolutely is, right? So um, being angry is healthy in many ways because um, it stirs us to do things that we wouldn't otherwise do. And sometimes that's um, for self-preservation. Sometimes that's useful to keep us from getting hurt or being in a situation that uh, we don't like. Uh, so absolutely, angry angriness has uh, its place and a place in uh, our emotional toolkit. Right, and that place is—it's a precarious place, right? Because we we can't deny that it's there. Right. Um, but how do we deal with it? Well, I think That's it's a question. The, yeah, I think it's a recognition of what is the source of the angriness mm -hmm. so that kind of harkens back to our last episode which if you listen to it we talked a lot about the questions behind things right um and we use the question why and now we're saying what but it kind of gets to the same thing as what's going on behind this yeah it does so let's take people back very quickly and briefly to uh last episode good so, idea so i we like were, the way you think we, we were uh using an example um, a recent meme out there that uh, someone had, um, and I don't remember the story exactly, but someone had uh, created a, uh, you could call it a work of art or what have you, it's a tennis shoes that has the name Satan on it. And Satan before. sneakers. Satan sneakers, thank you. And uh, we talked about how uh, that was getting quite a play in social media. And the perception was that because it was getting a lot of quote-unquote hits, that the perception was that this was good art, it was very uh, uh, popular, and everybody should think this is cool. 
and that's crazy. Right, because if it's popular, it's cool. Yeah, and so I kind of turned the tides, and, and of course the idea being that if this is so popular, if you kind of bristle at the idea of Satan sneakers and you say, well, that uh, doesn't fit my sensibilities, my worldview, if uh, I really think that's a crazy idea, that the, the mass uh, viewpoint is I'm crazy. And so I decided to pull an exact same example. Um, someone decides to create art, they have tennis shoes, and they have on it a biblical reference or Jesus on the sneakers. And Nancy was so kind to pull an uh, actual picture of that from Chick-fil-A uh, with John 3.16. Yeah, someone's rendering, yes, of yes. Chick-fil-A, their answer. I guess Satan. it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. their yeah. rendering of it. Very good, thank you. <laughs> That uh, the exact opposite response, uh, the, the, the mass people that uh, um, responded to it responded with a negative reaction and uh, that uh, the person that was doing the rendering, displaying the art, if you will, was considered crazy, outcast, um, uh, some kind of phobia, if you will, and um, it wasn't considered art or, or cool. And here we have exactly the same kind of display, the same, uh, if you will, message, um, message being something of a spiritual nature. And uh, they have two exact opposite responses. Right, right. So last week we talked a lot about crazy is in the eye of the beholder, right? So what I think is crazy, you might think, no, that's perfectly normal. And then this whole discussion of, well, what is normal and how do we define it and what are the benchmarks and what's a good litmus test, all that. Go back and listen. It was good stuff. So we're in a way we're in a similar boat here because anger is, uh, again, it's one of those things that it's very personal. Yes. Um, I can't necessarily tell you what you should or should not be angry about because it's a visceral response. That's right. Um, what, what, where it gets a little tricky is maybe not so much in the emotion of it, but what we do with it. And I think that it's good to kind of, kind of dissect that a little bit this week because that question of okay, so I know I have this response, but what? What's going on here? What's okay. going on behind this response? Yeah, so first off, you have to ask, what is the source? And mm -hmm. when you say, what is the source? Can I change the source? Or can I do something about that? And if it's angriness with inside, the answer is, yeah, you have uh, the ability to do something about that. If you're angry at a person, uh, you can confront them. You can go to them and love on them. You can forgive them. There's an awful lot you can do based on the fact that you're angry about something and it's purely internal. And so because it's purely internal, you have the ability to do something about it. On the other hand, if it's external and it's a matter of being angry at uh, a group of people or being angry at uh, a society or being angry at something else that's purely external, um, you have to go back inside and ask yourself, why am I angry? And it probably leads to the question is, what am I really angry about? Right, right. And sometimes what we think we're angry about is very different than what our, our visceral reaction is. It is, because just like we were talking about craziness, that craziness... Um, really uh, manifests itself at the surface. That if we think this way and someone else thinks that way, well, they're crazy, or they think I'm crazy. And uh, if there's a real dialogue there, uh, you come to find out that, sure, we may have different points of view, but we both have good reasons for our point of view. We both are valid. So in the case of really understanding what it is that we're angry about and what is its source, where does it come from, we can ask ourselves, is this really important to us? I, I love a statement that my son tends to use. Uh, that's not really something to die on the hill for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's a lot of things. There's a lot of hills out there, a lot of molehills and, and mountains, and sometimes it's hard to know to know the difference. Yeah, is it really that important? And uh, I know a lot of people that um, 
uh, have sort of unplugged from what is out there today in the way of uh, media uh, because they're not happy with the way it's being reported. Uh, on the one hand, you can say, well, you know, what an ignorant, uninformed person. Um, yeah, that's, that's one response. The other response is, boy, they're, they're actually uh, stepping back and stepping away. And I think in our lives, whether it's in job we're doing at work or whether it's uh, interacting with our families, sometimes we have to sort of step back and take a bigger picture, have a bigger look. And in today's um, prolifer proliferation of uh, information, um, it's too easy to be bombarded and be reactionary and to move from one cycle of um, anger to another or one cycle of excite excitement and um, not really asking ourselves the question, how relevant is this to me? Is this really important to me? Right, right. And why... Yeah, why am I reacting this way? And it might seem self-evident. Well, of course, everyone would be angry about this, but hold on a second. So, like, I'm trying to trying to personalize this, right? Because it's it's indicative to it's a part of we all deal with it. I guess is what sure. I'm trying to say. It, you know, like I think at the times, you know, this is the safe stuff to talk about, right? Traffic. Everybody has dealt with an angry situation here or there in traffic, and you know, I think about the times when I've when I've really gotten angry you know maybe somebody cut me off or uh whatever the traffic lights didn't go my way or you know but usually it has something to do with somebody you know so, somebody else that isn't behaving right the way that i want them to and in that moment you know you want to shake your fist or you have a, uh, but very rarely do you stop saying okay what's what's really going on here right. okay so they're not doing what i want them to do okay i can't control that right but why am I so angry? And if I stop to think about it, more often than not, it's because I'm in a hurry mm -hmm. and I need to get someplace and you're keeping me from getting to where I want to go. So that speaks to, well, why am I in a hurry? Right. <laughs> did I leave on time or did I plan this out well? Or, you know, am I, am I living without margin? And you can just keep going back and back and back, which is no fun because ultimately it always brings you to a place of, self-accountability and oh well maybe if i was thinking ahead then i couldn't you know i wouldn't necessarily be in a place where i'm angry at the world yeah it doesn't adjust and i think that's the key i think that's the key in a nutshell is that when we look at what we're angry about and then we say why and if we really take it uh to its logical conclusion and your comment taking it back it usually points inside, you know, what, what have we done or what have we not done? Your example's perfect. I didn't leave on time. Well, is that the person that's right in front of you waiting in a red light or stopping in a yellow light when you would want to run through it? Right. How uh, dare you? Is it, is yes. it their problem that you left late? Um, probably not. And, uh, you know, the other appropriate thing is to ask, should I care? Right. In today's world, uh, the bombardment of media and, and social media and, and world shapers and worldview thinkers, worldview, worldview shapers, um, people want to have a piece of other people's points of view and they want to own that. And uh, I think the, uh, the, the, the term is being rent-free in someone's mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so... We build anger that way as well. And if we really step back and say, well, you know, that's a nice topic. That's That probably means a lot to somebody. Uh, and I'm sure there are people that are justified in having that strong point of view. But um, is it really relevant to me? And, and should it change my blood pressure or my uh, heart rate or not? Right. And, and I think, okay, I have too many thoughts right now. So I'll try to get to just one of them. So to flip that around a little bit, that other person's point of view um, may not impact me, so why am I all worked up about it? But at the same time, sometimes the reason 
that I get angry is because I'm not thinking about that other person's point of view. Like, well, maybe the reason they cut me off is they just, you know, they just got some really bad news and they're not thinking straight and they're having a bad day and whatever, whatever. Like if I really knew their story, maybe I'd have a little more mercy on them. But because I don't, I'm only thinking of myself. I'm angry. So that's that's one that's one little facet of it. What you're saying is something different is, you know, whatever is going on, I, th- I think our tendency is to take it all personally. Right. Right. So whether we're just not considering that, yeah, they have a life too, that if I knew, maybe I'd have a little more compassion on them. But also, even if I disagree, regardless of compassion or not, their right to whatever they think doesn't have to change my life. But I don't know that we really believe that because I think at least this is the way I see it. And you're here to keep me in line, Bob Red. that I think one of the reasons we do get angry or frustrated with other points of view that we disagree with, if we really think they're toxic or dangerous, we think if you're allowed to have that point of view and if that, you know, if that continues, then it is going to threaten me. It is going to threaten the way I want to live. So what do we do with that? Yeah, well, it gets back to the idea of um, what's shaping that. And if the answer to that question is, well, everybody else is uh, telling me that I need to think that way, or um, back to what we were saying last time about the idea of clicks, and the clicks really represent uh, a position for or against something, or is that just curiosity? Right. So clicks meaning on social media, not like the clicks in at the high school cafeteria, but yeah, yeah those kind of clicks. Clarity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's incomplete data, and right. unfortunately, with all data, data can shape a, a complete picture according to he who has the data or she, and uh, according to uh, the story or the the worldview they want to promote. And so uh, it gets back to, um, boy, I'm told I need to think this way. And therefore, if I'm told I need to think this way, I'm angry about this. When really deep down, um, first off, do you accept being told you have to think this way? Number one. And number two, uh, does it really move your needle? Right. Yeah, you're making me. You are making me. I am, uh, you know, I'm, it speaks to control, right? I don't have control. Someone else is controlling me, and that makes me angry. Right. Right. And, and I, so I don't want to be too dismissive dismissive of that either, because in a weird way, okay, I'm just going to say it. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just going to say it. I think in a weird way, there's a comfort in our culture today, as I've noticed it, um, to be able to say, that I have been victimized because if I say, if, if I really believe that, then at least I can garner some support, affirmation, maybe sympathy. And it also kind of takes, it takes the onus off of me to do anything about it. Well, it does. Even though I'm not happy about it, but there's a weird sense of comfort. Well, this justifies me being angry and staying in that perpetual state of anger, of anger because I'm, I'm a victim. That's right. And it's an accountability thing, right? It's it's not that it's not healthy or it's wrong to recognize that. That's that's not the point. The point is it's very right to recognize that. But really it's about and you went back to personal accountability, it's about being a better person. And the way we become better persons is to say, Okay, that's what was, but really do I have to accept that? Can I rise above it? I like to use an example that, uh, you know, when we're children and we're growing up and we get to be, pick an age, is it 21, is it 25, is it 30? If you've had a horrible home life situation, um, one, it's, it's horrible, it's unfortunate, but at some point in time as adults, we have to rise above our upbringing and there's no greater uh, victory, if you will, of the inner soul than to have come out of a very difficult situation and as an adult to rise above it and to take responsibility um, to say, I'm going to make it different. I have the now control over my life 
to do something differently. And the beauty about this country has been that um, we have the kind of society, we have the kind of uh, uh, infrastructure in terms of just our own sense of, of belief in ourselves as well as the common good of man that and woman that uh, that we have the ability to rise above it if we want to, and it's not easy. I'm not. It's, it's a simple statement. It's not an easy statement to act out. So, okay, I think we've we've solved that problem. Let's move on um, <laughs> to the rest of the world. Um, no, but you make such good points because right right now we're talking about things that personally make us angry that are affecting our lives and that's that's a legit thing that's a real thing we all deal with it every day whether it's in our own homes as i said or you know with the people in our lives or strangers in our lives traffic starbucks grocery store or whatever that's a thing so now i want to i want to move the goalpost a little bit here because all right so this is all self-focus right but let's move from traffic to human trafficking. So now we're not talking about me getting pissed off on Transit Road or wherever we happen to be. It's what about situations that really have nothing to do with me that are about injustice for people that really don't have control? That's a whole different ballgame. So what do we do with that? Well, in, in number one is you can get involved if it's really, really, and, and who can't um, get behind uh, eradicating human trafficking, right? Um, you have to get involved, and get involved can be a lot of different things. I think the, 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 um, where we get into trouble and where we create even greater angriness between us and our fellow uh, human beings, our neighbors, and so forth, is when we say, well, you know, this very good cause is something that you also should accept as your very good cause, and I'm demanding it of you, and at the same time, um, I have a very good cause, and uh, but you're not allowing me to demand it of you, and I think that's where we get into the double standard or we get into um, angriness. It's very good to be angry and want to do something about human trafficking, it's a very different thing to say that it has to be my principal cause uh, and and existence for being as yours. So, yeah, so if it's the thing that's got me the most passionate, then, then of course, it should have you equally as passionate. But I and, support you 100%. Right, right, yeah, and I think that's so important because, like, as you said, and I just, I just you know, picked human trafficking because that is a thing and it's a really really big thing um and some in some ways i think people can make the case that it's it's so huge it's it's hiding in plain sight you know we and you know why aren't we more concerned about it but it speaks to your point it's it's like okay this is a thing there are other things obviously injustice among all groups you know racial injustice economic injustice um whatever you you know just just pick an injustice and i think in the end it it comes back to yes these are pretty bad things but our tendency is to be the most passionate about the things that hit closest to home and that's only natural. Yeah, it really should be that way. And, and I think where we as a society have been trending um, in, a, in a dangerous path, if I can put it that way, is where the narrative of what we should be angry at is being directed at us and coming at us from various sources that says, hey, this you should be really, really um, mad about. And um, in such cases, um, maybe that's not so true. Maybe that really, if it wasn't hyped as much as it was, isn't really important in the big scheme of things. And yet um, we use that, we we call them wedge issues, right? And, And we create these wedge issues, which really are by their very definition, meant to divide, divide individuals, divide groups, 
divide whole sets of people. And, uh, and uh, the minute you hit into a wedge issue, um, unfortunately, the tendency today is to uh, drive it further in rather than trying to understand why it exists in the first place. And the fact that um, it causes to push people on two different sides um, is what ends up making uh, each group collectively angry at the other and it, without any dialogue or understanding, we might find that uh, well, there's really no need to be angry after all. Hmm. But when you take that, that's that's like puncturing the balloon, right? Or the, the yeah, yeah. Because well, wait a minute. Now you just you just you literally just stole my thunder. Now what? You know, it it reminds me of the line um, out of the Princess Bride. It's um, oh gosh, Manny Patinkin's character. He's after he kills the six-fingered man, he's like, oh, I've been in the revenge business so long, I don't know what to do now. You know, I'm out of a job. And it takes the winds out of, out of our sails. Like, how dare you tell me I can't be angry? Because in a sense that anger can, it can be our security. And it's such, it's such a touchy subject, because maybe I'm making someone angry right now with what I'm saying and how I'm saying it. Um, are we saying there aren't things we have a right to be angry about? And I think... Not at all. Yeah, I think I would agree with you. No, there, there are certainly things we should be. Yeah. Not only can we be angry, may we, but we should be angry Causes about... Causes action, absolutely. Right, injustice. Um, and yet it's what we do about it, how we address it, but also, as you said, it at some point, having... The um, tolerance, having, I'm not sure what the right word is, but having the grace to let others weed through those issues for themselves as well, and knowing that if they are not taking up my cause the way I think they should, that we can, we can still, we can still work this out. I think that's exactly the point and the problem. Um, there's not really a problem with quote-unquote angriness when the majority of the people, truly the majority of the people, have a particular perspective. And uh, only a small number um, have the ulterior um, uh, perspective. The difficulty comes in when really um, an issue is somewhat equally divided like we talk about our country today that it's equally divided but what you hear then in that scenario where there's almost equal points of view that are sort of in opposition to each other where one side is promoted as being the majority and the other side is promoted as being the minority that's where you get into really um, angriness that's not productive because on the one hand one point of view is inflated and on the other view uh, other hand the other point of view is marginalized and that's where we get into uh, injustice if you will or where we get into a dual system of justice where seemingly two equal points of view that both ought to be considered rational and worthy of discussion end up becoming, on the one hand, censored, and on the other, uh, highly promoted. And that brings people to a level of angriness that we kind of see in the world today and in our country. Right, right. So I'm, I'm actually thinking of a somewhat specific example, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to take the names and dates out to protect the innocent. But I, I've been in conversations before about similar situations so so you've got a group that's been marginalized right yeah. who and clearly uh has experienced injustice oppression and in response this group and you know everybody already in their minds as i'm saying this is thinking well she's talking about this or she's talking about that well maybe i am and maybe i'm not because this if you really think about it it can apply apply to many different scenarios so i just and want to say great. that out front and it's great yeah. that you've rewarded it that way that we all can relate in our own special way right so i'm not toting an agenda here other and i'm, I'm being very clear and intentional in my disclaimer because I, I want i want it to be clear that i'm not trying to just surreptitiously put in an agenda rather than 
bring out a point. So pick whatever group you want in your in your mind. Um, but the point is, this particular group now is because they're so sick of being marginalized. Now they're playing the same game and committing some of these same injustices. And when it gets pointed out that, well, it was wrong when it was done against this group, isn't it still wrong? And the answer I've gotten in a couple of different conversations about this is no, it's not wrong because they're not in power. Yeah. And, you know, we talked in our last podcast about logical consistency. Yeah. And that to me is very logically inconsistent because if it's wrong, it should be wrong whether they're in the minority or the majority, because if those same tactics produce injustice, toxicity, whatever, it all the only missing ingredient is for for this group to be in the majority, and now they're the oppressors. And how is that right? Yeah, it is the definition of lo- logical inconsistency, and logical inconsistency leads to the very kind of angriness that we're talking about. Right, because you're just switching. You haven't eliminated anger. You've just swapped which group is angry. (laughs) Well, and and even more to the point, what you've done is you've suggested that one, uh, a level of angriness is valid. Right. And the other is invalid. Right. And, you know, there, there probably could be an argument made that, there are scenarios where that could be true. You know, if I'm angry because you're not letting me uh, commit heinous crimes, then all right, that's on me. You know, but but to your point, yes, I. Everyone, I'll put it a different way. We can't necessarily help the way we feel, but it's what we do with what we feel. That's right. Yeah. And it's it's amplified when the sides, the two sides, are pretty much equal again if you have uh, a minority point of view and here i'm saying a small percentage in the term minority let me be clear right right um and versus a overwhelmingly uh true uh overwhelming percentage point of view um our whole society was based on that our whole society was that the masses if you will uh, the, 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 you know, that we as a whole society look out for the best of our society. And so the people on the fringe uh, aren't to be marginalized, but they have and should have less say in you name it. And today that's kind of flipped where you have a very small percentage of people in various circumstances and scenarios. And we all can draw up our own examples in our minds where then um the rest of the society is told that uh, you have to accept this and if you're not willing to accept accept that that you're considered this that or the other thing that also mischaracterizations like that is what creates angriness right and says why does it have to be that way why do i have to accept this very small percentage point of view and it treated as if it's a mass appeal point of view. The point is that many people are, if you will, um, browbeat or they are pushed into a position that says, okay, I have to accept this. Right, right. And rather than address the root issues, we we do this reciprocity thing. Well, now it's your turn to feel oppressed. And it might provide some temporary relief but again, it's, it's just an exchange of anger between groups, and it guarantees that that cycle will continue. Because here's the other thing about anger. I think there's there's a recruiting nature to it, right? You know, when because, yeah, so if I'm angry about something, and again, we're not saying all anger is bad anger. Let's say I'm, I'm, I'm angry about uh, what's going on with the Uyghurs in China right now. I, sh- I should be angry about that, right? I want validation, sure. Right. So... That righteous anger should turn into righteous action or what am I going to do about it that will be constructive. And, of course, I'm going to want to recruit people because that's that, that's what it's the abolitionist bad. movement was all about. I mean, that any movement that is about human rights, and it does recruit people that are like-minded. Yeah. Right? And that's, right. that's not a bad thing at all. Oh, no. Very good thing. So, so it, there's that line though, going back to what you talked about. So, and it's not 
boy, how do I how do I say this? With because I think to a certain extent, if I'm so passionate and it's so obvious that this is a wrong thing, or you know, child trafficking, pedophilia, name it, just whatever the horrible things that we do as human beings. We all should care about it, and yet we know there's not, just not enough time in the day that we can all just give ourselves completely to every single cause because it's just physically impossible to do. So if I'm so worked up and passionate about a cause, but I don't think you're as sufficiently worked up and passionate about it, I think this is where, yeah, uh, this is where the problem is. And I know we've already talked about it, but I think it's it's worth it because we can get stuck here. Yeah, we can. Um, rather than being respectful and say, I think that's great that you're, that's your cause, but I should be able to say that's not my cause, which yeah. is not to say... But what's wrong with you? Why isn't it your cause? Right? And it's not to say I don't like your cause or I think your cause is stupid or I think that, you know, uh, you should take my cause. Here, let me tell you my cause. Um, it, we seem to have to take sides when there's really an opportunity where we should just be empathetic and say, what a wonderful human being that she or he is so passionate about um, this cause, and uh, I want to come alongside them. And come alongside them doesn't mean you have to write a check. It doesn't mean you have to leave your family and go do something with them for nine months at a time or, or a year at a time. It can just mean that you sit there and say, you know, that's really important. And I think it's fantastic that you're taking um, the energy, the resource, the talent, and the time that you have to dedicate to that. Right on. Where I started, where we create a little anger in us is when you then turn to me and say, no, I have to be and accept your cause as if it's my cause. Yeah, and it's such a hard, hard thing because I, I think maybe in some ways we look at it as a zero-sum game, right? Because if you don't take up my cause and you do your cause, then my cause loses. Yes. And it's like a piece of the pie. Yes. So it's either everybody gets the whole pie or nobody gets any pie. And just like, you know, just like so many other things in life, it's like, you know, we have there's a lot of resources out there. And if everybody actually did do what they were passionate about, then everyone would probably be in a much better position. That's right. And then we should at least address the concept of being angry and having angeriness towards a double standard. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's Go what's, on. That's what's happening in today, today's society, too, where, um, uh, I, I, you know, I don't want to pick on a subject, but um, I think we all could agree that the Me Too movement is a fantastic movement. Um, anybody that um, in the old days that used to think they could use their influence and their power over women to uh, find favor, you were talking about sexual favor, um, is heinous and it's really demeaning and it used to be acceptable. I would make the argument it's probably been acceptable since the beginning of man. And yet today, we're saying enough. Right. We're saying enough. And in that particular example, um, I defy anybody to stand up and say that the whole concept of abuse of one's power, pick your sex, it doesn't matter. Pick your affiliation, it doesn't matter. Over someone that is in a position of powerlessness is absolutely wrong and is heinous. And we all ought to be able to agree with that. Where anger comes into that particular equation is where because someone is of a particular favored class, whether it's political or otherwise, or favored uh, status in society is treated differently, that's where you have people being angry because it's a double standard. That's that's an example of double, double standard. I don't want to pick on the Me Too movement because I'm very much in favor and understand yeah. its all right. existence. Well, you're very brave to bring that up, and I appreciate that. And I'm actually I'm glad that you bring that up because, all right, so as a woman, I, I you know, I feel I can speak to this, at least from my perspective. Um, the whole Me Too movement, it it begs the question or the issue of, 
what does what does it mean? Like, okay, the whole Me Too movement brings up the the issue of conflating, and what I mean by that is sometimes we take an issue that is a legitimate issue, like you said, a, a oppressing or um, tr- mistreating women, abusing your power as a man over a woman just because it's always been something that's happened in society. That's never okay. It never was okay. It's never going to be okay. Um, so we acknowledge that. But when it gets conflated to mean something else, when it gets conflated to be its own power movement where now in order to elevate women, now we have to diminish men and now we have to say that everything is masculine, is toxicity. Now we have to say that women who maybe make things up, well, we need to believe them even if they're lying. Like we've conflated the Me Too movement with all of those things because other people have an agenda. And that to me is incongruous. It is inconsistent. It's, um, yeah, it, it's... It's just wrong. And and so there's another potential anger starter. And it is. And we're back to um, how do we avoid a double standard, which creates the angriness. Right. 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 In your case, the false, the false positives. Right. Um, we want to believe everybody and everybody should have a voice in this particular situation. And yet, we want to protect the uh, accused, right? Yeah. And I would make the argument before we go too far that in this particular topic, I uh, I mean, I mean, me too. I, I maybe I I look at it on a much broader scale to say me too is really about position of power mm-hmm. over position of vulnerability. Yes, I, I think that's a good point because the conflation I think w- that I'm picking up on is. We've taken that that issue of being um, being lorded over some you know, like a power situation, right. and a toxic response to that has become well now we're going to be the ones in power, right? And that's again it's just exchanging one one wrong <laughs> way of being for another. Yeah, and the, the, the way to address that, or a, a way to address that, is back to logical consistency, right? And so uh, in the treatment of the accused and the accusers, which is part of what you're talking about, um, are we giving equal protection and equal voice to the accused and the accuser? And are we giving equal outcome? to the accused and the accuser. And in today's world, unfortunately, what we're seeing is, depending on who the accused is, uh, the accusers who are already victims um, can be further ostracized. Right. And in a very similar scenario, perhaps even more heinous and more contracted, more numerous, however you want to look at it, because of who the accused is, uh, can be swept under the rug, or right. can be can be uh, have a bright hot spotlight put on it, and the point isn't whether um, the allegations or uh, the treatment of the allegations and the outcome of the, of an investigation of such um, should or should not give a result the point is it should be a consistent result you're right you're right and actually you've helped me to clarify my thoughts because i think all along i've been using the wrong word where um what makes me angry about this subject and i agree with everything you said like those who have been oppressed those who you know have have been sexually harassed or in the broader sense as you speak you know any form of being in that that position of powerlessness they have a right to be heard, they have a right for justice. I think what makes me angry is that in many ways this Me Too movement has been co-opted. That's a better word than conflation, I think. It's been co-opted by those who have an agenda that is taking the voice away from the legitimate voices, and they're trying to make it into into its own power movement. That's right. And the, the, uh, the point that I think you're making here is um, there seems to be a picking of sides. Right. And that's where we get into corrupting, if you will, 
a very, very beautiful movement, a very, very beautiful, uh, intentional um, kind of circumstance in society that none of us stand for. And the most incredible thing is any of us that are men who have children in particular, have a daughter, um, I, we, it just, you have to look at it at that level. And, you know, in, and I would go back to say, society wasn't like this long ago and not long ago. I mean, we can go back to the 60s and, and even the 70s, and of course, all the way back to the beginning of man, and abuse, and, and here I'm talking about abuse of power over the powerless, uh, was a reality, is a reality, has been a reality. And uh, thank God that um, today in society, we've, we've said enough. Mm-hmm. And the only problem in the point that you're bringing up, Nancy, is um, we've gone beyond saying enough. We, we, we've said enough for certain people. And um, oh, that person, oh, it's okay. Right, because it actually takes away from the movement itself. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, all right, so it makes me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to shift a little bit, but in my mind, it's all related. So you said something a minute ago that made me think, you know, taking sides, and it makes me think of Joshua. And going back to the, so now now we're bringing scripture into this, folks, but, you know, there's, yeah, there's a point when Joshua meets the the angel, right, the angel of the Lord, and um, he's he's asking him a question. He like he's you know he's a warrior. Um, he he's got a mission to um, to lead the Israelites into their promised land and to you know so all of that there you can look it up if you don't know the story. But um, he meets this angel and he basically says, "Whose side are you on? Right? You on you on our side? Or you on their side? And I bet you know the answer to this. What does he say? Definitely on Joshua's side." Yeah, well, here, but here's the thing. He says, in essence, neither. I come as captain of the host. Oh. He's saying, I'm on the Lord's side. Yes. And and I know that you knew this, so I set you up, but I um, hope it didn't make you angry. No. Um, <laughs> but this thing about taking sides, yeah. right? We think, well, my side is right because I'm upset about it. Well, the person on the other side is thinking the exact same thing. That's what... Um, that's what holy wars were all about, right? That's what yeah. terrorism is all about. That's what so uh, most of the world's conflicts are all about that. There are two sides that are passionately and vehemently opposed to each other and both think they're right. That's right. And yet, whose side is right? Well, and I think that's a beautiful point because um, I always like to say right is something we all can see and know. But when we're asked to talk about it, it gets very uncomfortable. Mm. Hmm. Right? And um, I think therein lies this other idea of how we become angry when we see a miscarriage of justice on the one hand. That's bad enough. But what amplifies and makes it worse is when there is no recourse to do what is right. When people are doing things, are taking decisions because it's financially expedient or because there's some other motivation beyond simply what is right. And we're suffering in that kind of society now where what is right many times comes down to uh, what side of an issue you're on and not what is inherently right. Right. Yeah, who's in power, in other words. That's so, right. yeah. So if I'm on the side of the powerful, then I'm right. That's right. And yet, if we were standing before the angel of the Lord asking that question, I don't think the angel cares which side, which political side I'm on, which uh, economic side I'm on, which gender side I'm on, when it comes to issues of right and wrong. And by right and wrong, we're talking about truth here. Yeah, we're not talking about opinions. Fundamental right. truth. Right, right. Right. So, you know, all men are created equal. We know that's that's a fundamental truth for all people at all times, geographically. Um, we talked a little bit more about this in our last podcast. Go listen to it. Um, but when it comes to issues 
that speak to fundamental truth, then it's no longer about politics. It's no longer about who has the most money, who has the most likes on Instagram, who has, you know, the biggest following, the, you know, the biggest voice, the loudest voice, whatever, who, who has the strongest arms, who has the biggest army. It becomes about before God, who, you know, are we on God's side? That's right. And in, in society from its beginning, right, has always gone astray. It has always gone astray, and um, in the end, and the beauty about our history is humankind, is there has been a time always when there are people of God who stand up and say enough. And they stand up, not in battle per se, not in debate per se, they stand up in righteousness they stand up because it's simply the right thing to do and it has made movements of of change in societies that are chapters in a history book to us but it was real what people lived at the time at the moment and there were a, a person or a group that said enough and we're not going to do it for the basis of popularity, for money, for position, for power. We're doing it because it is simply the right thing to do. And as human beings, male and female alike, we know deep down by our Creator what is right and what is not right. And what is right isn't always convenient. Hmm. Ain't that the truth? You know, and even now in in my head, I'm hearing I'm hearing those voices. And at one time, that was me too. So we're ta- you're talking about what's right, and you're talking about what God wants. Well, who are you to say who God wants, and how do you know? And you know, you could just you could just spiral and spiral down that rabbit hole. And I'm not saying that it isn't a, a legitimate discussion because in many ways it is. But I I want to go there. To at least address, so this idea, what we're speaking of is a universal truth. Yes. Right? So you and I are both Christians, so it's a settled issue for us. Maybe not a settled issue for everyone who's listening right now. So let's start here. Everyone has to at some point agree, even if you're a, you think you're a pure relativist, that there are universal truths that we all agree on. We, we have to, or else it would just be total anarchy all the time. Is, is that fair? Is that a fair statement? Oh, I'm going to push back on you. Okay, push back. And, I won't get angry. I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm going to push back in this way. So I have the opportunity to meet every two weeks with a, uh, a person I've come to good know and respect. and He's an atheist and uh, proud of his position in his worldview. And he would argue that uh, truth is really um, what the collective group, however you define the collective group, sees as as what is truth and sees what is right. Now, you and I disagree with that. And I think we have to recognize that there are people out there in the audience that don't agree with us, that see the view of my, my, uh, my colleague and says, no, that's bunk. I don't believe that. I think it's really truth is what's the society accept as truth. That's the relativism of the worldview we're talking about. And so for those of you out listening, out there listening that have that viewpoint, I respect it. And um, my uh, argument to you is that um, it's a shifting sand. And I think that within us, innate within us, I think the metaphor is it's in our DNA, but in fact right. there's no gene that determines right or wrong or truth. But it's right. a beautiful thing that human beings have one thing that no other living organism on this planet has, and that is an innate, deep-down sense of right and wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because uh, even even Dawkins, I think he's the one that said, oh, we dance to our own DNA, and doesn't that sound poetic, and it sounds very, yeah, like universalist, or actually relativistic. But even he, I, I heard a story of you know him t- attending a, like a, maybe one of his, some a softball game, I'll just say. Um, I don't know if he's a father or it was like a grandchild or something, but um, he 
he was really upset at the umpire's call. Like, oh, how, you know, that's that's a terrible call. Well, wait a minute. He was just dancing to his own DNA. So uh, the point is even Dawkins could recognize that there, there are some things that are universal. And so I appreciate your pushback. And, and you're right. And I know you and I are ultimately on the same page. But I would say to that person that says everything is determined by what the majority rules and there's no such thing as universal truth, I would, I would say to them, okay, so you're okay with children being raped. You're okay with human trafficking. You're okay with the most heinous crimes that are committed. And, you know, and everyone will say, oh, now you're going to go to Hitler. But I think the reason that we do that is because those are the extreme examples that nobody says are okay. So it's, it's some, there's an assumption when you say things like, well, everybody should decide or, or decide with the majority. There is a, a an assumption and a presumption on the part of the person saying it that most people basically think like they do. Right. Well, and to, uh, again, cast the spotlight on my conversation with my colleague, um, he has been a very angry person over the past little while. And uh, most recently, he's less angry. And um, he saw that I was not very angry. And in a little while, he's been looking at me, and he's curious that I haven't picked up being angry. Hmm. And the, the, the point of it is, if we look at this cycle of angriness, Really, where is the hope? Right. What do, we, what do we do with this? Right. How do we deal with this? Yeah. And the that's kind of where we are right now, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And and the way we deal with it again, um, what Scripture tells us as Christians is we have to love on people. That we really are called to um, listen and to be antithetical as Christ was to say, hey. Um, we're going to feed you if you're hungry. We're going to provide for you if you're in need. And we're going to love on you. And it gets back to being uh, purposeful, intentional, and individual about it, where we treat them as who they really are, uh, children of God, and that um, what we have in common is far greater than what divides us. And let us show that uh, that commonality. Yeah. Yeah. It, it begins, as you say, as all things do, it begins in within. It begins internally. Right. Even when we feel like, this is too big. This is, this is more than just about offending me. This is a huge issue that, that affects hundreds, thousands, millions of people, billions of people, what can I do about it? And that leads to a feeling of powerlessness that we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. But for today, we're, we're talking about, so I can't, I cannot do anything about anyone outside of myself. And that, that's bottom line. That's the truth. So the way I see it, there's three ways that basically that we tend to respond to anger. One is like this resignation. Well, there's nothing to do about it. So I'm just going to stay angry. Uh, maybe a little depressed and sad, and we'll talk about that in another one. Um, you know, so we just kind of stay in that perpetual state and don't really go anywhere with it. Another way we deal with it is it's that exchange of power. Okay, well, guess what? I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. It may be wrong, but I don't care. I'm tired of being the victim. Now it's your turn to suffer at my hands. Yep. Justice. That's right. Right? That's my form of justice. And then that third way is what you just said, which I think is the hardest thing of all. It's the bravest thing of all. It feels risky because, well, what if I do it and nobody else does, right? right. Um, and yet it's the only thing that we really have control over that's not going to perpetuate the anger, the sadness, the injustice. Right. And that is, as our mother told us years ago, you know, hey, if you want a friend, be a friend. And that sounds so trite, and I'm, I'm so sorry. I hope that doesn't, you know make people angry that it, it's it's really that simple but 
but it really is. You know, the, this idea that we we become the change that we want to see. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry for the cliche, but that really is what it boils down to. Oh, it does. And, and my colleague, back to him, says, y- you know, I understand you feel the way you do, speaking to me, Bob. Um, and because you believe what you believe, I would think less of you if you weren't the way you are and really caring about what you believe to share with me, fully knowing that I don't believe it. Hmm. And this is what this is what he says to you. Yeah. And it, it it's what's beautiful is in the beginning he was argumentative and interrupting in from about my worldview as if I was trying to convert him. And he's come full swing to say, even though I still don't believe what you believe, I respect that because of what you believe, that you feel a need to share with me, even though I don't believe. Hmm. So there's that acknowledgement that, okay, we might disagree, but... You're keeping it real. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes back to the civility that we talked about in the in the last podcast that... You know, it's one thing to get behind your screen with your keyboard and click away and, you know, spout out that 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 thought that makes you feel good in the moment. Um, but it's another thing when you're face to face. It is. It is. And as, as he says, you know, it's interesting that um, in spite of my reticence and in spite of me uh, interrupting you and, and refuting what you have to say. The one thing I can say about you is you're consistent. Hmm. And that that says a lot, especially in this day and age, because it, in some ways it feels like nothing is consistent. Things are, you know, the script is changing day to day. Yeah, and what's happened is he's moved from a position of ridicule to a position of respect. Mm-hmm. I have a desire for him but God lets me off the hook. I can't change his heart. Only God can. But I have a role in that I have to be consistent. I have to share. And I have to love. Amen to that. And even though these things seem so simple, simple isn't easy. <laughs> if it was, no, we yeah, it really isn't. Um, but there's a reason, you know, we learn things like the golden rule when we're younger. And some place along the way, perhaps we forget it and we need these reminders because we think, oh, we're sophisticated people and we're just beyond that. But it will always come back to these very basic principles because it's what it's what Jesus outlined for us, first of all. That's right. And we're told that we're not just allowed to be angry, but... We have an obligation to be angry about certain things that anything that violates human rights, anything that goes against ultimately the character of God, who is full of grace and love and justice and mercy and truth, if it violates those things, then yes, we should be angry about it. And yet scripture says, be angry and sin not. That's right. And that's, that's the trick right there. It is. It is. So, as uh, as we like to say, it's uh, really um, up to us to be different and to live, sort of live Christ-likeness. And as my friend says, you know, why do you keep trying to sell this to me because it's not very attractive? And I said, well... The gospel isn't what you want it to be. The gospel is what God has made it to be. And you know what? On that thought, I think we should hit the pause button because I just think that opens up a whole new thing that we can talk about. Let's pick it up next time. Okay. Yeah. This has been a great conversation. Yeah, it was. So, uh, yeah, 
I think it feels like a good place to hit the pause button and do a little of what we like to call thinking. Because there's lots to think about. And while you're thinking, I'd love for you to visit me on the isleofmisfits.com, I-S-L-E of misfits.com. If you really like what we're doing, then hey, feel free to subscribe away and maybe even give us some love on iTunes or Spotify with the stars there. I would truly appreciate it. But most importantly, share this podcast with a friend or two or three or however many you decide that needs some help through these mad times we're living in. Because we've got more episodes in this series. Oh, yes. So I hope you'll join us. And if you subscribe, they'll come right to you. You won't have to do a thing except this. Own your awkward. Love your fellow misfit. Even if you get a little annoyed or angry at them. And look for beauty and truth in all the weirdness of this beautiful life. <laughs>